everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of Mastication Nation, the podcast that gives you food without the fuss. We've never actually said that, and that's the tagline for the show, but we've never actually said it on the show. Seems a little short-sighted. <laughs> there we are. How are you, Will? Good. I am great. I am riding high off the endorphin rush that is hanging out with your co-host of Layovers, Mr. Paul Papadimitri. I'm so glad you guys were able to connect. Yeah, Paul is out in San Francisco. First time, I think, since he was a kid, and he's he's been loving every minute of it. And it, I think it forces, forces one to remember what is great about San Francisco and not always focus on the crappy stuff, which is what I tend to do. Yeah, I mean, we were walking around the Columbus area, Columbus Avenue, sort of the North Beach area, which for me is like uh, Fisherman's Wharf light. It's a little too touristy for my for my liking, but uh, he saw all the good. He saw the shiny side of the turd, as it were. Yeah, and I think that there is a lot to San Francisco that uh, you know when you're walking. Well, you walk through it every day, but I, I I didn't go back the last time. It's been it's been two years since I've been in San Francisco proper, and I will be there in in a week. So I will. Um, endeavor to look at it with those eyes but i'm very glad you guys uh, had a chance to connect what did you eat i think is probably the most important thing so we met up at a place called the comstock saloon which is a, a, a live jazz bar um but we were in the in a different section of the uh bar and, and we're just sitting there um having some some frosty cold ones and then after a few beers there we were going to go to the park tavern but the line was pretty long so we headed over to the original, original Joe's, which is super old school, like 1950s style, as Bourdain would say, dino classic de- uh, meals. Everything is, you know, scampi this and fettuccine that and then like big hunks of meat with crab in it everywhere. And yeah. so we both got we both got some nice prime rib, which I think San Francisco does specialize in. It's You can find it on every good menu and there's even the house of prime rib, which is one of the best places on earth if you like that old school vibe. I do like that as old school vibe. There's something rather comforting about that. And San Francisco has a lot of those places. Ah, oh, prime rib. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Yeah. We're going ultra touristy mode next week. So actually, which is fun because you never do that when you are from the Bay Area anyway. So we're doing all the, all of the haunts. So I'm actually looking forward to that, but I'm glad you guys got a chance to connect. Uh, I, we had a lot of feedback on the last episode supplies. It sounded like a benign, kind of slightly boring topic, but it's triggered in a good way a lot of people to come forth with their with their various bits and pieces, uh, including some instant pot love, which I will uh, will get to in a second. But Chris Ratcliffe, our our in house whiskey expert, and Chris, pre- prep yourself. We're 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 at tea, and we're hoping to have you on for whiskey. Uh, he said, what can I do? Uh, what I can't do without in the kitchen is authoritative, reliable cookbooks. If in doubt, Delia. We didn't talk about much cookbooks at all. I feel like maybe that's going to be a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah, that'd be my opus. Uh, so that would probably take two to three episodes. If we yeah. Did that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you and I both have unhealthy relationships with cookbooks. Um, but that's a that's a good point for the authoritative, reliable. If in doubt, I think if in doubt for me, I go to my food lab. Yeah, me too. Um, I for the episode that we're doing for tea, which I won't uh, won't spoil. I had probably three different books open. Uh, two of them were uh, sorry, one of them was Kenji. Uh, one of them was 
uh, and um, sorry, Alton Brown. And then one book was specifically written about the topic du jour. So those two are sort of my go-tos. Uh, but Food Lab is obviously where I'm going to find the most um, broad. And Serious Seeds, obviously, which is kimchi as well. I don't know. I think I'm ashamed to admit this, but I have four cookbooks dedicated to today's topic. <laughs> Open. Open on really? my desk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here, I'll move my camera so you can see. I've got my oh, those are my passports. But I've over here all my 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 various books about yep. the subject. Yeah. Um, and there, I have another one on the way because we'll talk about it later. But yeah, I I, I do. Um, I love cookbooks. Uh, and actually, you know what's interesting is that I can judge the cookbook I use the most by how completely shanked it is. Um, it's fingered and stained and, you know, gross. All my cookbooks have, uh, and this is just showing, I'm not like this in pretty much anything else I do except for cooking. The ones that have literally maybe 50 to 60 uh, post-it notes sticking out the side with my notes, those are the ones I use the most. I do get a bit of anal retentive if, like, you know, my one of my cookbooks gets stained. I just, it bothers me a little bit, but I understand that they're supposed to be worn in, but I like to, the ability to just, like, you know, augment this here, write this here. So I've got some books that are just like nothing but pink slips coming out of them. Yeah, no, that's always a good sign that it's a solid foundation book. I was, I was, was I surprised? I don't know. We got a lot of people saying that they got inst- they have instant pots and they like them. Uh, Chris is 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 one, and he said that he got it on, for Christmas, which is cool. Uh, whoever gave you that knows knows what they're doing. Uh, and he has a point here, which I actually agree with. That it does take a little bit of time to get used to, and it, there aren't, there are a lot of instant pot recipes out there, but not many good kind of foundations recipes that explain what you're doing and why you're doing it, so that you can you can build on it. But fortunately, our good friend Greg Annandale uh, is a big big fan of it. For he says stews, chili soup, anything with lentils, um, and that he uses the official instant pot recipe database which is at recipes.instantpot.com which which i go to as well because i've been let down by a few recipes lately that are too watery or will fall apart if you're not using uh really high-end meat that's not been injected with saline or, or, or brine or anything like that and then makes the recipe too watery um and then instant pot eat which i don't think i've tried but I will now be doing it. And Serious Seats, uh, particularly Kenji, has a good pressure cooker uh, section as well, which you can and should use. Just to augment that, yeah. So it seemed like Greg was basically saying anytime he saw a pressure cooker on Serious Seats, he was able to to use it for his instant pot. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think there is – I don't, I don't want to uh, intimidate anybody here, but there is an element of engineering prowess required for an instant pot. It's not it's not a Ron Poe peel set it and forget it system. You have to you have to be a l- monitor it and and see if things are getting too watery or, you know, th- that type of thing and and adjust accordingly. It's not it's not difficult by any stretch of the imagination, but you can't just I don't think you can walk away and let it do its thing. No, and everything that we talked about on the supplies episode, we basically said none of these are uh, you know, set it and forget it. They do require a level of of um, respect and education before you get the most out of them. Yeah, no, I think that that's absolutely true. Uh, so it's neat to hear a lot of people coming back with instant pot stories. We'll definitely uh, 
we'll definitely relay some more of those. Anita, Anita Ip, uh, said thanks for the shout out. Uh, and that she can't live without her walk, cleaver, and chopsticks. I neglected to mention this in our, in our last episode. I also cannot live without my chopsticks. I use them for everything. They are so versatile and so useful for pulling out, uh, uh, vegetables that just to test if one is done for, for noodles, for, for anything. I just, I use chopsticks every day without question. I've seen a lot of people talk about that and it's all about your competency with that specific utensil. The one that I see pop up on most people's like, uh, equipment set list is, is spring loaded tongs that do the exact same thing, but a decent pair of metal spring loaded tongs never use those silicon grabby ones. Um, they, I don't trust them. Um, get the same thing done that chopsticks do. I, I'm, I'm, embarrassed to say that uh living in hong kong for 11 years my chopstick skills are not that dexterous so i do need yeah it does require a little bit of practice and skill i i think that they can go places like i use them on the barbecue whenever i'm grilling Mm -hmm. especially if i'm grilling like boneless skinless chicken thighs and i just want to you know get them quickly um over or moved around it's just so much easier so i i love them I can't use a walk at home because I don't have gas. I have a convection range, which makes me cry uh, so much. But I would use a I would use a walk a lot. I think uh, you can build a pretty decent. You just get this like maybe four inch round ring that you can stick on your on your Weber, and uh, then you can you can walk outside. Ha. <laughs> I like the control of gas. I'm, I I hate cooking no, on a range. I, I do as well, and and it's funny. Like uh, since moving, I no longer have gas, but uh, I actually got a new piece of equipment, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I'm starting to learn how to use the idiosyncrasies of um, electric. Yeah, it's it, it can be very frustrating. Uh, Michael at Do Not Call Me Mike on Twitter. Uh, I love so this a, tweet. There's there's a backstory. So first of all, he asked me to link out every single thing that we uh, talked about. So I did that and it's still on the page. I'll probably pin it after this. And what I found without fail, and Alex, you've been talking about this for years, rip off Britain is every single thing except for one item was almost like almost double or the pound became the dollar amount became the pound amount uh for the things we're talking about so 150 pound 150 dollar chef knife became 150 pound chef knife and that was on a good day yeah Um, and the shippings of things cost so much the only thing that was actually cheaper in england was the thermopen because thermoworks are a british company Yeah. yeah uh and a great company too yeah it is frustrating i mean we are an island here and we do have high import duty and VAT and all that. So it does, but we are now at a point with the strength of the pound where, you know, I was just looking at a DJI Osmo pocket because uh, our friend Joe Allen, who's a great uh, photography um, vlogger mm-hmm. uh, and just a great photographer. Uh, he just did a review on one. It looks great. And I looked and it's, you, you just, between the U S and the UK, you just change out the dollar sign uh, for a pound sign, unfortunately, but so uh, that was interesting, yeah. And so, well, uh, good on you for for tweeting out all of the uh, links to everything. But you nailed it with the cast iron skillet recommendation because he said, mm-hmm. and I quote, "Wow, just wow!" Use my cast iron skillet for the first time. Can't thank Mastication Nation enough 
for the Lodge uh, cast iron recommendation and the push I needed to get one. Can't recommend the podcast enough. Five stars every single episode. That's very sweet, My- Michael. Uh, thank you very much indeed. And I'm so glad that that worked. I just used mine tonight. We made um, can, uh, cast iron skillet pizza nice. in the oven. Preheated the oven for an hour. That was some a tip that somebody told me. Uh, and it, it worked out great. I love those things. So I'm glad that we were able to... Um, <laughs> to to bring some joy into people's lives with our cast iron skillet recommendations. Absolutely. And so I'm just going to jump down to this one from, from uh, Ross Manson, uh, Manson's 44. Uh, he said that the tools that he couldn't live uh, without are um, a, a good spatula and a good uh, chopping block. Uh, we talked about the chopping block, but completely skipped over the spatula. And I was going to reply with spatula city gifts but i thought that was so niche and deep cut that most people would not get that <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people have seen uhf it is a great weird al yankovic movie from the 1980s 1989 i think and it was basically proto family guy every five seconds was a cutaway joke oh it's such a great movie and if you ever get an opportunity watch the movie and then watch it with the director's commentary and you'll yes. learn that how much of a savant Weird Al Yankovic is. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but Ross mentioned uh, – oh, by the way, Weird Al is uh, nominated for a Grammy tomorrow. So yeah, good luck to him. That's very exciting. Uh, Ross yeah, Ross uh, mentioned that he, he um, his chopping block is end grain, which is you know when it looks almost like a chessboard because it's using the end grains of, of multiple pieces of wood. Uh, and he said that they will self-heal and look great. Um, I have heard this self-heal idea before. I don't know too much about the science. I'm assuming because more grain is exposed, um, it's it's more able to deal with the rough and tumble. That being said, end grains are significantly more expensive than than just one piece of wood uh, and generally heavier. But uh, if you've got it, go for it. That's cool. It looks beautiful. We'll retweet this picture because it's, it's stunning. It's the, most, it's the most beautiful chopping board I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, what one throwback to the episode before last, uh, ramen, uh, uh, Joel Candia, who I think is down in Australia, isn't he? Um, he said, after listening to the ramen episode, I went to the local Asian grocer and found cup noodles. I got the chili crab flavor and it was good. But then I read the label. They were made in China. So now I'm left wondering. They were made in, they were made in, in, uh, Hong Kong, weren't they? Yeah, it says licensed by Nissan Foods Holding, uh, and then it says Taipo. Yeah, Taipo in the New Territories. Oh yeah, Taipo, beautiful part of Hong Kong. Yeah, it's Hong Kong. So you know, I I did look it up, and Nissan has like I think they have like thirty plants or offices around the world. Uh, There's a very large one in Germany that seems to do most of Europe. So uh, just because it's not coming from Japan doesn't mean it's not good. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, the other thing he posted the label. Uh, and it's got some of the the uh, the nutritional information, and the other the striking number on there is the sodium. Oh, jeez! <laughs> Nearly two thousand milligrams of sodium. So don't eat four of those. Yeah, uh, and probably don't eat them every day. Uh, but they are good. They are good. So thank you guys so much for doing that and spreading the word. We really appreciate it. We have seen a a, a good pop in uh, in listenership and subscribership. So and that's all because of you. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Uh, on that celebratory note, what are you drinking on this Sunday? Uh, I'm drinking a 2017 uh, California Chardonnay. It's just from the local Whole Foods, but uh, it, it you know it's 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 been raining like crazy 
Uh, it even snowed a couple of days ago yeah. in, in 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 El Cerrito, California, of all places. Bizarre. People are saying it was glorified uh, glorified hail, but it, it looked like snow. Um, and this is the first time in like four days that it stopped raining and it's kind of sunny out. So I'm trying to trick myself with a, a nice uh, buttery Chardonnay. Nice, nice. Well, why not? I mean, it's a, it is a summery drink, as you say, um, or summery varietal blend type style. I I can't remember if I mentioned this on a lot. I think I did. I have stopped drinking, um, so I have one too many two calls from the drunk bin. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I just I've I, I've I haven't had a drink in um, forty days. So there you are. And we'll talk about that later. But, um, but I have here so adnams are a big brewery up in suffolk and they uh are have have joined the large or the growing number of breweries respective breweries who are putting out non-alcoholic beer and this is their southwold pale ale uh non-alcoholic um i've been drinking the Brewdog one which is excellent really does just taste like a normal beer and it's alcohol free and so i'm gonna try this i haven't tried this yet Wow. Uh, the 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 Brewdodge one is Nanny State. Nanny right? State, that's right. Yeah. Look at the color of that. That's wow, like it looks a, like a, a like almost like a a black lager. Yeah, I think that's that's hang on a second. Let me put the light on it cuz it's not that dark. Okay, yeah. It's like, it almost it's, looks like a nuki brown. Yeah, that's exactly the color it is. It's a pale ale. Um yeah. That's good. That's really good. Cuz most non-alcoholic beer like the the Beck's Blue and the Heineken ones, they're not good. They're not good at all. But the Nanny State and then this one, which you can get if you live in the UK at M&S, uh, the, ooh, brewed exclusively for M&S. So there you go. You can only get it at M&S. Very good. I can strongly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are. Uh, when did we last record? It's been a while. Uh, it was January 10th. Tenth, last yeah, last episode went went live. Well, it says a month. SoundCloud, you're so you're so unspecific, vague. Specific. vague. Yeah, that's yes. a better word. Vague. You're so vague, SoundCloud. Uh, so it's we've. Uh, I haven't done much traveling. I had all of January off. It was glorious. But uh, what have you eaten that's that's tickled your fancy since we last recorded? Um, well, I did a bit of traveling. I was up in Seattle uh, during one of their their. Did you eat a bag of dicks? I did not eat a bag of dicks, which is a reference to Alex's and Greg's and most recent attache episode, which all my friends have said is flagrant false advertising because the sun was out. We were um, lucky. We were yeah, lucky. No, I, and, I, and I agree, but like I was up there and it was one of the worst snowstorms I've ever had. Uh, one of my friends who was picking me up uh, lives in an unincorporated area of Seattle at the top of a mile long hill that wasn't salted. And uh, he basically just uh, skidded down the entire thing and then uh, left his car at the bottom and was planning on sled dogging because he has two huskies or a husky and a golden uh, to get him back up in the afternoon. Hey, so that's not? how bad it was. Um, I, I had a really good smash burger while I was up there. Not the company smash burger, but like a, a smashed burger. Mm, uh, that that level of, of crispiness is just always awesome. But the best thing I had refers back to the piece of equipment that I just got. Uh, our our um our oven crapped out, and we got a new one. And again, it was it was uh it was electric. But I'd never had an induction um uh cooker before. Have you ever had an induction one? Yes. 
Okay, so I didn't realize how freaking powerful they were. Yes. The two on that is like the seven on my old oven. Maybe that's why it broke. The old one broke. But um, so and it's it's all fancy. It's got like an LCD um display, and you just program things, and it's awesome. Anyway, we were making. I was making chili, and I augmented the, the my usual recipe a few times, and cooked it, and then let it set. And then, you know, reheated it for service. And that just gave such a level of density and, and, and flavor to it. And it was like, obviously, chuck. So it's very, very um, flavorful. And if you cook properly, falls apart very nicely. Three different kinds of chili. Uh, great chipotle flavor. And then I did, on the uh, recommendation of my wife, um, sprinkled in maybe a teaspoon to two teaspoons of cocoa powder. Which really, and it didn't make it mole level, but just enough to give it a, a roundness. And cinnamon is such a strong flavor that I use in my chili to begin with. It really made an awesome, I think, my best chili to date. And it really wow. hit the spot when it was freezing outside. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. It, it's a, it was a riff on um, on Kenji's everyday chili. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. It's 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 pretty involved. There's a lot of ingredients. That, There's a lot of ingredients chili. and it's fairly step heavy at the very beginning. Uh, but then once you've done everything, uh, you're, you're good to go uh, for about three hours. Nice. You just, you just let go. Um, wow. That sounds, that sounds good. I, we, I made chili uh, two nights ago as well, which uh, it's the perfect weather here, cold and wet and windy and rainy. Um, I just, I, the only travel I've done since we last recorded and it's pertinent to this episode as a whole, but it was also a, a completely revelatory experience was to Mexico city uh, for a few days. I have been to Mexico a few times, but I'd never been to Mexico city and I had expectations, but man, that place is flipping amazing. I absolutely loved it. It was my kind of city. I've never been. I have many, many contacts and friends down there who, or visit frequently, who say it's just absolutely incredible. Um, and I think specifically the media in this country have done a really shameful job of painting one side of a picture of a very complex city. And so I would yeah. love to get down there. Yeah. It's, it, I was blown away. I loved every second of it. Uh, we had some great people with us. We were filming an episode down there. Uh, we had a full production team, many of which who worked on Roma with the, uh, the Oscar nominated and BAFTA nominated Filmed by Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. And we, many wonderful things. We spent a lot of time eating. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and walking. So that kind of, hopefully they canceled each other out. But I'm going to, the subject of today's episode, I ate a lot of, but I think, I can't decide if it was the best thing, but one of the best things I had was uh, chilaquiles, chilaquile, which I think I talked about way back last summer when I went to Monterrey, Mexico. But then we had them in in Mexico City. And chilaquiles, if you haven't had them, are um, fried tortillas simmered in either a red or green sauce um, with onions. And then um, sometimes they add egg, but you can add chorizo. You can add a mole if you want to, um, onions. It's a breakfast food. We went to a place called um, Chilaquilers which was awesome. It was so, so good. And it's the right amount of spice and it's really just, oh my God, it was so good. But in Mexico City, there's a little bit of a twist where you can also get it 
There's a trend in Mexican cooking where it was like, this is amazing. You know what would make it even better is if we made it into a sandwich. And so they'll take anything and turn it into a torta. And so there's these ladies on this corner in Condesa in Mexico City that will, they have chilaquile and then they'll put them in a, in a kind of sweet-ish um, crunchy roll. Oh my God. <laughs> so good. And they're there until they sell out and then they go home for the day. So, so good. I loved Mexico City for reasons that will become even more apparent over the next uh, next few minutes. So, yes. But while I was there, I ate an unhealthy amount of today's topic, which is tea for tacos. How could it not be? <laughs> and I, and if people are getting upset at us for for doing uh, you know Mexican food, they can go run, take a running jump. It's it is. Uh, wow, why it, would they? I know. It's, well, I, I <laughs> we'll get onto this in a second, but uh, America has a lot to answer for on people's perception of what tacos are and uh, the slow is an abusive relationship that's slowly getting better and better each year. Yeah, I see. It's an interesting one because I don't. Well, I mean, like you said, we'll get into it. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure it's, it's a bad thing in the end. I think it was a Trojan horse, but tacos are, I, th- I think my trip to Mexico City solidified it for me that if I could only eat one food, it would be for the rest of my life, it would be tacos. I love, I love tacos so much. <laughs> I love them. So- so let's get into what they are for the 0.01% of people who don't know. It is a wrap, a small tortilla filled with pretty much anything. Yeah, we can get onto what we think are more traditional. Um, but that word I think is a little dangerous because um, I knew this before, but pre my research, the Mesoamericans, specifically the Aztecs in 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 Mexico, had been doing a variety, a, ver- a range or, or uh, a riff on on tacos for millennia. Uh, specifically, when the conquistadors arrived in in Mexico, they saw uh, that corn tortillas filled with uh, random things were pretty much the staple. And uh, Cortez even noticed uh, through a feast before screwing over the nation, uh, of them eating, you know, uh, corn tortillas filled with, and here we go, the proteins of choice that the Mexicans had available to them or the the Aztecs had available to them are not what you would find fairly often these days in in Mexico. Their their, their options were, um, were rabbit, turkey, dog, lizard, and most importantly i think for the future of where the food world's going and also i'm not sure if you saw this in the resurgence down there but crispy bugs mainly crickets you'll see that quite a lot in very authentic places yes uh, we we did see a lot of that because it's very oaxacan um oaxaca is one of the regions that has uh maintained its connection to uh pre-hispanic mexico and to n- native mexican uh, life, I think, better than any other region because I think it's sort of the cradle of of that uh, mm-hmm. that part of Mexico's her- heritage and history. But that is the interesting thing about tacos; they predate the arrival of the Spanish in Mexico. They, they, these are a, have been a staple long before. Now they may not have been as as widespread as we know them, or even as Mexico knows them today. But as you say, when the conquistadors came, there was this feast put on. Uh, uh, for Cortez and his people in Coyoacan, which is a, a, a 
town in Mexico City that we went to, which is absolutely stunning. Do you know what it translates to? What's that? Coyoacan uh, translates to the place of the coyote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's coyotes everywhere. Not actual coyotes, coyote symbology. Yes. Uh, and yeah, so um, they, we, we, we went there and actually we spent a whole day there. You'll see it in the episode. Stunning, stunning place. So, but that, that's the thing is that this is not so a lot of Mexican cuisine is, is, is hybridized. It's based on many, many different influences, but particularly on those brought with the uh, conquistadors. Tacos, in their, at least in their original form, are not or were not. Right. You know, I, I agree. And and maybe you have some uh, thoughts on this, but um, the etymology of the word seems to be a, a little murky. There are people saying that there was a pre-Spanish um, uh, language word that kind of matched up with it. But another one that seems to be getting more traction is this idea of uh, 18th century uh, Mexican silver miners had a term for the explosive wrapper that they would put around uh, – the charges that they were going to be using for, for mining, yeah, and and the word was taco, um, which I think is a little too um, not cute because if anyone knows this, the the stories behind the silver minings in Mexico, nothing about that was cute. Uh, <laughs> it also yeah. helped perpetuate the slave trade in the Western Hemisphere. But anyway, um, that kind of makes sense, I guess. But yeah. there's also this root word around it being a, the term for a, a, a diminutive term for the word like wedge or or puck or piece, which I think also kind of makes sense from a visual perspective. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's murky enough to to be undecided or di- certainly kind of perpetually disputed uh, because you can you can track it back to as you say uh, reasonably ancient words, pre-Columbian words. But there's there's not enough as evidence to suggest that any one camp is right. But it is a lovely word to say. Yeah. And the one thing that we will say that has the through line, uh, obviously, uh, tacos change. The ingredients change based on the Colombian exchange. Obviously, uh, the ingredients of the certain types of tortillas changed with the, the emergence of, of new cultures. The only through line is corn tortillas. They are the authentic ones that have been going on for thousands of years and then still to this day continue on. So uh, at its base level, the the most important thing that a taco has to be is it has to include a tortilla. Um, and to quote uh, Alex Stupak um, of, yeah. of the great book Tacos, which I think you gave me, uh yeah we both have the same book um open you know he said uh the difference between a good taco and a crappy taco is the tortilla and i think that's 100 percent true yeah um the classic being the corn is made from from masa which we've talked about in our um in our nacho episode it's our good friend next mineralization which renders a fairly um undigestible corn product to be incredibly healthy and and nutritive for you um and it's made using a kamal which is almost if you saw like a a fairly old uh cast iron skillet and a and a, and a kamal they are very very similar heavy metal uh, pieces of uh, of cookware that the uh, the masa would be pounded out and then placed onto to cook and then create the create the uh, the taco the tortillas sorry the tortillas themselves yeah. yeah and then of course the flour or wheat tortillas which which aren't as sort of heretical as they are occasionally made out to be by purists you find flour tortillas 
all over Mexico, all over Mexico City, throughout Mexican cooking. And, yeah. and, and with tacos as well, there is, there is absolutely nothing wrong with them. They have a very different flavor. They last exponentially longer yeah. than, uh, than, than corn tortillas. Uh, and they're, they're both, they're, they're, they're both fine, but the, but the predominant, um, variety, if you will, is the corn tortilla. Yeah. And but you, to, to that point, you can't think Mexican, not modern Mexican, that's the wrong term, a popularized Mexican food without thinking uh, of, of flour tortillas. You couldn't have a, you can't have a burrito without them, can't have quesadillas, et cetera. Um, the, the, the flour tortilla literally comes the day that the, the conquistadors arrive. Um, they wanted the, the concept of, of, they brought the wheat with them. Um, as many people are aware of Mexican beer, but don't even think that there was a massive uh, German immigration movement. uh, And and obviously with beer comes wheat. So there was that wheat available. Uh, The Jewish immigrants as well after the, after the expulsion from, from Spain, uh, they brought wheat, uh, but again, religion plays a big part. Uh, the Franciscan, Franciscan, the Spanish friars, maybe they were Franciscan, I, I don't know, uh, wanted the bread for communion, wafers, etc. So the, the 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 wheat had just been popularized in Mexico for hundreds of years. Yes, it's not as original OG as as corn. I mean, the entire region anthropologically is called Mesoamerica, which means corn America. Uh, so flour is the new boy on the block, but it definitely has its place, which we'll get into. But I'm sure you could tell me of all the of all the tacos you ate, I'm going to guess 90% of them were uh, street tacos that were given to you on corn. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say 90%. I would say about 60 or 70%. Okay. Um, there was there was a mix, and in many in many cases they asked you. We went to a phenomenal taco place in Mexico City in, in Condesa called uh, Orinoco, uh, and you got to um, you had to pick. And they actually suggested we actually recommend flour for this particular um, concoction that we that we do, and it worked. And I think there was no sort of oh don't do that that's a faux pas that's just on there for tourists because a it wasn't a touristy joint and b they were as good as the other ones. The one thing I'll say, actually two things I'll say about the tortillas is uh, I, I'm not a purist on obviously corn or flour. We'll talk about, you know, hard tacos and soft tacos and all that stuff later. But the one thing I am a purist about is the size. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can obviously get big tortillas, which you use for burritos or uh, fajitas or quesadillas or anything that's sort of that Tex-Mex style. But for for street tacos, they are they can't be bigger than ten centimeters. That's generally the size they come in, if not smaller, because those are the ones you can pick up with one hand and eat while you're holding the plate, because that's generally how they're given to you at a at a at a taco a street taco stall. Mm-hmm. You hold the plate, the paper plate in one hand and you eat with the other. If it's any bigger than that, you can't do that. So that's where, and I search high and low for the talk, the tortillas that are in the right size, which are quite difficult to, to come by here. So I think that's, that's, that's key. Secondly, especially on flour tortillas, they're not easy to make. They're not easy to make well because finding the balance of, of flour, lard, salt and water. And, and then having a tortilla press or something resembling a tortilla press, which I have, it's 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 not easy. It's not easy to do. So when you have a really good tortilla, it's a very satisfying experience. And I want to touch upon uh, lard for a second because uh, 
and I just real like really the penny dropped for me on this a few actually a few days ago. Um, lard is great for for cooking this kind of stuff. Um, people are like oh well, it's bad for you. Um, the way that I had this explained to me was um, LD LDL versus HDL cholesterol. Mm-hmm. LDL is the bad stuff, and lar- uh, butter is higher in LDL than lard. Uh, LDL, um, basically, you know, has, it, it, it goes down your body and you get it from cheeses and meats and all this kind of stuff. And you, you hand it over to the cell and the cell says, no, nope, I got enough of it. And so the LDL just like starts plastering it all around your arteries and you have a heart attack. HDL, which is the good stuff, actually has the ability to take that cholesterol take it back to the liver and then have it recycled because it's not needed in the rest of the body. And butter is worse for you in the bad kind than lard. So mm. make your decision there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 you can't make tortillas without lard. You have to have them. Um, and they are, it, lard is a staple of, of Mexican cooking. So it, you know, embrace it as Will says, I think it's, it's absolutely critical. <laughs> and I think that the, the only, in the research that I did and like the eating I have done on this, it, it the 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 rule the only rule I found was if you're going to use a flour tortilla it generally means that the the ingredients are a bit more involved and a bit more um, you know overstuffed mm-hmm. uh, it seems that flour is able to handle that better than corn tortillas generally when you get a, a corn tortilla taco there's usually two of them not just one yes and to give structural integrity to it they're much thinner than flour tortillas generally and that yeah you do get two. Uh, stacked on top of each other, and then the beautiful contents uh, inside. But actually, that's a that's a that's a reasonable segue. We so the the tortilla is cannot have a taco without tortilla, but you can then load up the tortilla with all these wonderful things. And I I we've talked about authenticity in the past, and I have done a massive about face on this, going no, it's not a taco unless it's one of these ten types of of taco with these specific ingredients in them. I think people riffing on the idea of tacos to create all kinds of wonderful things. Alex Stupak is probably the king of that. And he he writes – actually, it's interesting. All – one, two, three, four, five books I have about tacos and Mexican food, they all have lengthy uh, discussions about authenticity. And they sort of all ultimately make the argument that when it comes to Mexican food, it's a nonsense concept. So I think – you can have the classics, you can have the staples, you can have the exemplars, and we'll talk about those because I think it's important too. But then I think it's great that people are creating all of these wonderful different varieties of tacos and, and using tacos as a platform for innovation. You know, you ha- you went to Temper, you probably had the beef fat and cheeseburger tacos. Mm-hmm. Th- th- those are not Mex- – that's not Mexican food except for the fact that it's on a tortilla. Yeah, I, I mean I- – and- Beef reigns supreme in America, but beef is number three or four per uh, traditionally consumption uh, in, in Mexico. Pork is pork reigns supreme. So you know anything with beef, which Americans have now um, you know made kind of like car- carne asada tacos, are are fairly popular, but not that authentic. And again, I'm using that word in air quotes because to the point, there is no no, no real thing as authentic. Yeah, yeah, I think. That's Unless we're eating dog crickets or you know uh, rabbits, which I think Peter would be all over us on that, we're not going to be uh, that authentic. Yeah, no, I don't think so. But I think that there are some there are some staple classic taco styles that are worth 
exploring and recommending. And I think that, you know, I, I ate most of them uh, <laughs> when I was, when I was down there. Um, and you, you're right. There's, there's, there's all these different types of meat, but generally they come down to uh, pork and, and beef and all of the bits of the, of the cow and then seafood. You know, we can dive into some of the more well-known things, but to tag up on the fact the, of what tacos really are, you know, it, it's the, ta- it's the, it's the uh, tortilla, a filling, and then garnish. Yeah. And so very similar to our, our burger episode of bun, patty, garnish. Um, we're not here to tell you what is and what isn't legitimate. Um, as Alex mentioned, the general proteins, but you can go vegetables. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, they're you know, egg. just I mean, all over the place. The the thing that I found was that breakfast burrito, sorry breakfast tacos and dinner tacos are 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 a thing people do eat them at lunch but there's no such thing as a lunch taco um, you know the dinner taco are more involved the the um, the breakfast taco is kind of funny because it was one of those Tex Mex things that then got reabsorbed back into Mexican culture so I'm sure that you had some Mexican uh, breakfast tacos that we didn't because they're not a huge thing in Mexico exactly because there's so many other wonderful Mexican breakfast staples yes yes exactly so you'll see it from time to time but Mex uh, breakfast tacos with your chorizo with your um, with your eggs with your potatoes with your beans are something that came out of out of, out of Texas more than than uh the US. Yeah, I, I mean sorry, I, the Mexico, sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, you know, chilaquiles and and huevos rancheros and there's just so many great Mexican breakfast foods that breakfast tacos is just getting. They all involve tortillas in some some way shape or form. Yep. Um so let's let's I think for me the most interesting and exciting and my all-time favorite style up until about a week and a half ago was and is tacos uh, al pastor, which is interesting on so many levels. Yeah, and, and so I was I put together a list of probably one, two, three, four, five um, tacos that if you don't, if you've never had, you know them by name, and they're probably the most um, famous examples of tacos. I would say ninety percent of them, maybe seventy five, actually. Um, are heavily influenced by um, you know uh, diversification of the Mexican popula- population by immigration and immigration. The tacos El Pastor or shepherd's tacos. If you if I dropped you into Mexico City and you saw somebody making this, you'd be like, oh, it's a kebab joint. Yeah. No, but it looks like that. It does. It does. Uh, it absolutely does. Tacos uh, Alpastor, as you say, the shepherd style. They come on. Uh, they're based on a, on shawarma on this on the spit uh, grilled meat because they were brought to Mexico by Lebanese immigrants who came in the 18th and 19th century, and their offspring, that the second generation and third immigration generation, started to open restaurants uh, in Mexico City. Uh, and they combined the heritage that they had from their parents, plus the, all of the wonderful ingredients and spices and flavors and preferences that they found in their in their new homeland. So they have this uh, this wonderful spit, uh, which is called a trompo, and then it spins around and it's uh, it goes next to a fire uh, every turn and it's grilled on the outside. And there's pineapple on top, which, contrary to popular belief, is not there to marinate or drip down onto the under the pork, it doesn't work like that. What what happens is is that a, a wonderful human being will take a couple of tacos or t- tortillas on a plate, slice down the side of the 
of the trompel exactly like they would with a with a shawarma with a, with a kebab uh, onto your tortilla, and then they'll they'll flick a slice of pineapple with a very sharp knife down, and then ideally catch it in the tortilla. If you have watched the LA episode of Attaché, uh, we went out to what was the name of that place? Um, Leo's Taco Truck. Okay, Leo's Taco Truck. And like we got there at like five o'clock, six o'clock at night, and this place goes to like two in the morning. It's just a taco truck in a gas station in an interesting neighborhood in LA. And um, let's just put it this way: Alex's smile and taste and love of that was uh, was tr- genuine because off camera he was screaming and uh, you know very upset about the fact that we had just blown a tire yeah. uh, and now we're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Thankfully, right next to one of the best taco trucks. Yeah, in the city. it was serendipity. It was there. We were looking for it, and there it was. And then the tire blew. So, yeah, I was not happy because it was a it was it was a dangerous situation. Uh, <laughs> but 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 El Pastor made it all better. El Pastor does make it all better, and then it's simply garnished with with chopped coriander or cilantro, depending on where you're from, and um, and chopped white onion. It is life-changing how good that taco is. It is my absolute favorite taco. It's easy to screw up because you can dry the meat out and it's disappointing. But generally, uh, it's it's very well done. I absolutely love it. We went to a place um, which, if you've been to Mexico City, you know this place. Uh, it is called Il Visito. And I know a lot of people right now going, oh, I love that place uh, in Mexico City. It means the vile ones. For two reasons. A, it's in a it's in a by day the shop is a mechanic truck, is a mechanic shop. You take your car there and they work on it. But at four o'clock, it turns into the best Al Pastor joint in Mexico <laughs> City. There is a restaurant chain, to cut a long story short, uh, called Vips, uh, which is um VIPs, blah blah blah. And uh they called the originally they had a very similar name, and these guys from the big talk from the big uh fast food chain said, No, you can't call us that. You, you can't call yourselves that. It's too close to us. Um, and they said, well, come on, man. No one's going to mistake a taco truck for a 300-plus outlet national chain. I'm like, no, no. Otherwise, you're going to hear from our lawyers. So they changed it from uh, El Pilsito to El Vilsito to the vile ones just to prove a point to them that it could be called something horrendous and people will still come to it. <laughs> That's awesome. And they, they, uh, they had two spits going and they basically – they have to kind of predict how many are, people are going to come because you can't – once it's on the, on the grill, you can't take it off the grill. You have to yeah. throw it away Yeah. unless you want a bunch of people to be um, very unwell. Life-changing. Those, that's my absolute favorite type of, of taco without a doubt. So let's run through a couple of these other ones and, and you give me your feedback on them. Uh, and then we can do tag up a little bit on the, um, on, on the influences here. So, uh, tacos de carnitas, uh, carnitas, sorry. Yeah. Uh, which is very, very popular. You get the, you get carnitas in, in everything. It's slow roasted or, or even sometimes, uh, fried pork, um, you know, shredded on top of your tacos. That for me, probably second of my favorites uh, behind El Pastor. Uh, what are your thoughts, Alex? Love love it. We make carnitas at home all the time. Yeah, slow cooked and then fried in lard. Yep. Uh, absolutely delicious. I, I, I do it. And then that's squeeze of lime and uh, sometimes some um, queso uh, on, on top of it as well. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. Okay, taco de lengua. Love it. Tongue, beef tongue. Uh, lots and lots of 
beef varietals, um, which is which is very typical of Mexican cuisine. And yeah. often it's like they use the 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 the, the meat from the head from the cheek in, in yeah. other varieties. Yeah, of, tacos uh, tacos de cabeza, which is cabeza head. Head. And so basically, you you cook the whole head and you get the cheeks, which are obviously wonderful and various other bits and pieces. But yeah, yeah absolutely love them. So uh, I'm going to say uh, I love these to all of them, just as FYI. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, taco de camarones, which is uh, shrimp tacos. Shrimp tacos uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, love, I mean that's definitely them. a West Coast thing. I mean, I'm sure you can get them on the on the East Coast of Mexico as well. Anyway, there's there's water, but um, generally, I think it came sort of out of the whole Baja uh, taco movement as well. Just saute um, saute shrimp in in tacos, and 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 fish just works, or seafood in general just works so well in tacos. Yeah, absolutely. And you get cabbage with those, like a cabbage base salsa as well. Right. Uh, and again, the kind of either um, usually lime. Love them. And and then the last one for the ones I wanted to point out, I think is the most messed with, uh, the most faffed around with of our favorite language and our favorite word uh, is, is uh, fish tacos, Baja fish tacos. And what I found really interesting about Baja fish tacos is it is basically – Three cultures in one. So it's it's um, Baja is Baja California. It's the west coast of America, uh, the the Americas, and then into Mexico. Uh, and it's a little spit, and Baja is on the very tip of it. It is a originally fried taco. Uh, fried, sorry, fried fish in a taco. The inspiration for this because this is a fairly recent one 1962 i think was the first time uh that they actually put on a menu anywhere but like 1950s and 60s people were doing it japanese fishermen were coming to uh the area to uh take advantage of the of the fish in that area and they had been brought uh they're bringing the tempura technique on how to fry fish tempura as we've discussed in previous episodes came from the portuguese and was introduced to the japanese in the 19 sorry in the 1600s so it's like goes portugal to japan japan to mexico mexico to my belly nice yeah yes. and, I, th- and that's another classic one that they use a slaw instead of a, of a you know other garnishes yeah uh i i i like fish tacos a lot uh, i haven't had nearly as many as the other varieties that we've talked about i discovered for myself a new style that i had never heard of never experienced and even googling it 90% of the results were in uh, in Spanish uh, and on Mexican food sites and recipe sites. And that's um, uh, tacos suadero. Sweaty tacos. No. Not, oh, really? Not sweaty tacos. No, that's uh, – um, Sweaty tacos are sud- tacos sudados. Oh, damn it. I was so close. Tacos suadero, which right up from El Vecito, like just around the corner – uh, from El Vecito is this taco stand and tacos suadero is a cut of meat, a cut of beef. And it's from the intermediate part of the cow between the belly and the leg. The closest thing that we have to it is brisket, but it's okay. not, it's much smoother than brisket. It hasn't got the muscle grain, which is, which is fine in brisket. Um, so what they do with it is they take, um, they have this big pot, huge, pot, like, you know, maybe two feet long, uh, and they put a mixture of fat and water in it, and they heat it up. And then they put this meat in there for six hours. And so at the end of it, it's basically confit. Okay. 
And then they take it out and they chop it up and they put it in a taco with, uh, with not much else other than, and you get a, 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 a spring onion as well in there, which they put whole into this, this confiting liquid. Uh, that, that was the best taco I've ever had in my life. That was the best style of taco I I have ever had in my whole life. So they and, they don't they don't reheat it after it's shredded. They they just no not not reheated, but they don't apply a different um, heat source like carnitas. They refry as nope. opposed to well, it's, it goes onto this this hot skillet when they when they're when they're chopping it up. But there's nothing they need to do with it. It was. It was divine. It was absolutely divine. And that place, the guy said that it would, that took us there, that it was easier for him to tell us when they weren't open. And they're not open from like 7 to 11 a.m. And then they're open 24 hours a day. And there's just this constant flow of people. That that was the best I'd ever had. Um, the other one I really enjoyed was Tacos Chicharron. Which, yeah. So we it's basically pork crackling uh, uh, tacos, which is always a good one. Yeah, and that comes with like um, avocado, queso fresco, um, and yeah. Again, we had the Orinoco. It was delicious. I mean, I want to jump back real quick to some of the things that are are, are classic accoutrement or, or, or garnishes. You know, the big bad boy, which is a episode unto itself of, of salsas. Um, you know. It also means sauce in, in, in Spanish, and your usual pico de gallos are not the most common additive that you would find to tacos. That's a very specific kind that you would use in you know, fish tacos, but usual salsas, you've got your greens, your reds, your, your blacks. Uh, they are chilies mixed with a liquid and, and seasonings, and for me, you could have a taco with a different kind of a certain kind of meat on it and the salsa that you put on makes more of a definitive statement about what you want that taco to be than potentially even the meat because the kind of salsas you can get like you can get a black ta- uh, black salsa which is used you know almost like a mole or in variation they do charred uh chilies that's making a very deep heavy rich flavor where you would not look to put an avocado on top of it because it'd be completely lost as opposed to a red salsa where an avocado may make sense on top um and so learning how to do salsas i think is for me the second most important behind the 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 tortilla yeah i i think you're right and interestingly at el vilcito they had like these salsa stations and everybody knew what they liked at uh at um tony's tacos tony which is where we had the suadero there was only a couple of styles and they were exactly like you were saying they were more like a chili oil with the seeds to lend them uh, a jar of which i brought home with me because it was so good and my friend enrique oh well, no he's my friend now at least i hope he thinks he's my friend but because he told me all these wonderful things he showed me an interesting thing that everybody does where they, if you don't know what the salsa tastes like, so you just take a little bit of it and you put it in the space between your 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 index finger and your thumb as if you were going to snort it, but then you just lick it and you, you taste it and see what the heat profile is like. And I'm glad he taught me that trick because the, the one kind of vat of salsa they had at Tacos Tony was the, some of the spiciest salsa I've ever had in my life. And, and I would, we'll have to table it for this episode but chili classification in in uh mexican culture is fascinating uh knowing that a chili 
in its fresh form, its dry form, and its preserved form, the same chili may have three different names. So yes. like a chipotle chili is a is uh, a yeah. um, jalapeno in an adobo sauce. And I'll get onto adobo in a second because for me, it's a magical elixir that can make anything taste better. But I never thought that. And I was making the chili the other day and I make this, this kind of slurry with um, – with uh, fire roasted dried chilies, and then you throw in the chipotle and the chipotle sauce, and then the stock, and then you blend it all up, and then you add that to your your chili uh, to your chili with nye, um, and and that makes it amazing. Mm. It, it, the the chilies themselves are the varietals that you can get. You can get fruity, you can get spicy, you can get you know earthy, and I think it is a massively overlooked uh, people. I think just. Do are not taking into consideration the the actual flavor profiles of a chili and just want something that burns when they go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, and also we don't have access to nearly as many. There's fortunately there's over here there's MexGrocer.co.uk. There's Cool Chili Company in Borough Market where I get all my tomatillos. So it it's getting easier, but it's not uh, it's not. It's not nearly as easy as as in the U.S., but yeah, it's very important. But I know that you're champing at the bit to talk about crispy tacos. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, so let me put it this way. And I was putting together the notes the other day, and this bugged the crap out of me. So if you go to Google right now and you type in taco recipes, the top ten results were ground beef. Hard shell tacos, which are, and I know we've followed on this rant about like nothing is authentic or not authentic. This is the opposite of authentic. And I, I basically said, uh, it's like Americans read the cliff notes on how to drive a car. We're like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. We got this. And then drove a car directly into a cliff. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I think so. I think so. I, they, they have become a sub, a sub genre in an, which is so. fine. It, I don't care if they're a sub genre. Like it, it's, it's kitsch. It's funny. La, I was watching the ugly delicious episode on taco and he, the tacos and they go back to the, the Mexican restaurant that was across the street from the first ever taco bell where the guy just ripped them off and created the taco that we all know and love from taco bell, uh, which is crunchy with a shit ton of cheese and, and iceberg lettuce. Um, I don't I wouldn't mind if it was like a offshoot, but the fact that the first ten results on Google yeah, come up with I, that, that bugged I me. I think there's a lot of nostalgia built into that as well, because if you ask anyone of certainly of my generation, you grew up on those. You know, they're they're a new a new thing. They're actually invented by uh an Ameri- um, a, a Mexican. In New Mexico in the nineteen sixties. And the thing that he that basically propelled this into um, stardom, as it were, is that he patent patented that's the word um, a uh, golden taco, which is what they're called um, uh, fryer. Basically, it could make hundreds of of, of taco shells in uh, you know a fraction of the time that the the the, the soft ones are coming out mm-hmm. in, and so it was able to be mass produced. They were shelf stable, and then Old Paso yeah, came in that, and ruined that, the that's world. That's the key. That's the key. <laughs> is they're shelf stable. They last forever. They're much cheaper. I mean, corn tortillas don't. They last a few days at most, um, unless they're vacuum packed. You know, I I always fantasize about bringing back some some tortillas from Mexico or California, but it's pointless. It's pointless. So. You know, and they almost invariably use ground beef. It's where the firm, the phrase Taco Tuesday came from. It's what Taco Bell was based on. 
are they tacos? Yeah, they are. But they're they're a subgenre of tacos. They are, you know, they're they're nothing compared to the taco styles we've just described. But they are, they're they're. I don't know. I mean, comfort food is right. They're they're nostalgic. They're they're. Yeah, They're cheap I mean, and easy, and they are weirdly satisfying. That crunch and this the salty umami ground beef. You know, this they're nothing compared to a taco taco, but there is something rather wonderful about them. And the one thing that they have, there's two things that they have on all of them that that you, from what we've spoken about, you would rarely find on more um, non Americanized tacos. Uh, they always have lettuce, and they always have a copious amount of not great cheese. Um, both things that we've met have not mentioned once. I mean, yes, you'll have, um, panela, which is a, um, you know, a Mexican style cheese that is kept in a brine, uh, and will not melt. It's almost like, it's almost like feta or Oaxacan cheese, which is the more classic style. Um, those are going to be on a few different types of taco. If it makes sense, the, you know, a yellow, not known in nature, uh, cheddar that's sprinkled on top of your your ground beef tacos uh, with your iceberg lettuce. You know, that's quintessential taco salad or or, or golden tacos, which is which is fine. Uh, the, the point that I'm making is that we're slowly coming around, and I I am I am blessed to live in an area that you know you would never find those kind of tacos being sold to you. Um, you might unironically. Unironically, exactly. But there is a huge swath of the country that's still that's where you know I, I don't know I, I have not been to Minnesota, but like you know chances are that I know that they say taco up there, and uh, they might you know love their their Wisconsin cheese on their taco. Hey, you their, know what? With, Why not? I mean, with uh, their I made I made lamb tacos last night. I bought mole paste at a market in Mexico City, which I'm sure I brought into this country illegally, but you know it is what it is. And I I took a shoulder lamb. I smothered the uh, the lamb in the mole paste and olive oil. I cooked it for seven hours. We ate it with with a, a slaw and feta and salsa I brought back from Mexico City. Those the, and they on on street style size flour tortillas because I could bring them back. And those were tacos. Yeah, no, and, and barbacoa is a, is a style that we we so glossed over, and uh, I have one of my favorite Mexican restaurants in Berkeley, La Mission, and it, it does um, like there aren't that many places that the number one ordered thing is lamb in America anywhere, but one of the most popular burritos is a barbacoa lamb burrito, and it just it it it's amazing. Yeah, I, I love it, and I think that there's there's room for that to boomerang around the world. Uh, I think I think it's a good thing. I, I think you know there's a there's a joint here called Bredos Tacos. They won a bunch of awards for street tacos. The thing that bugs me about that place is they do a lot of tacos, but I always think a taco shop should have a few of the classics. Yes, no, I agree. I agree. And and that kind of nicely brings us on to um I was looking at like my favorite place that I like to get tacos, specifically tacos, and I'm looking at the menu and and hardly any of them are traditional, but they have one or two that are traditional. And it kind of tags up on our our idea that like, you know, they they are variations of where you are. There's a place in Petrera Hill in San Francisco called Papito, um which is owned by a Mexican and French guy. So there's French technique with Mexican ingredients, but also some other world ingredients. And the two um, tacos I would always get 
are uh, polo espen- espenzado, which is fried chicken uh, with a chipotle remoulade, salsa rojo, guacamole, and purple cabbage slaw. That sounds amazing. It is, but the only thing about that that is like traditional, if we're going to go down that 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 path, is a tortilla that it's served on. None of those things are, you know, traditional Mexican food. Uh, the salsa roja maybe, but like, and the guacamole. You usually don't find guacamole on on tacos. You find actual fresh avocado on there. And the other one is carnitas de pato. Pato is duck, so it's duck confit carnitas, pickled carrots and daikon, and a chipotle tamarind. Amazing. Sauce. Also sounds amazing. I don't. Again, I don't think. I think that that's great. I think I would much rather delicious. that variation than the golden tacos variation. You know, I love going to Taco Bell once a year and going <laughs> and having a couple of or twelve Taco Supremes. I, 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 it's it's fine. I mean, is it the religious experience that that Tacos El Pastor in Mexico City are? No, but. I've learned just as I have with bagels and you know other things that I can, if I can't eat a bagel in New York I'm just not going to eat a bagel, uh, you know. Should we talk about how uh, our brother Andrew used to whenever he's come out to the U.S. he would go to Taco Bell and like just steal all of the the hot, hot sauces. sauces. This is back before like the sriracha revolution and all that kind of stuff and like you know the most flavorful thing in England was Branson pickle, uh, you know. So he would he would he would come back with like a ziploc bag full of all the sauces. Uh, the thing the thing that I think I miss the most about the West Coast of the United States, well California really. Uh, and and Mexico is you don't just get taquerias or street tacos. It's it has to be slightly weaponized, and you want people to sit down because you need them. You need to make the money through selling them a bottle of wine or expensive beers, craft beers, and stuff like that. So I I, I do miss that, and I think it's it's even more wonderful going back to California and having them because I can't get them anywhere else but i you know i tacos are are just a wonderful thing and i think they if you haven't had a taco in california or arguably anywhere in the southwest and of course mexico it's it's one to put on the bucket list because it is such a simple cheap wonderful perfectly pure street food of which i can think of no better to be completely frank and i really enjoy the fact that it's kind of like ramen in the sense that it is um, a dish that has taken on so many influences from other cultures, but also you go to different cities in Mexico and you will find th- established different kinds of, of tacos. Like in the US, a cheeseburger is ubiquitous. Tacos are not this run of the mill, this is Mexican food. You go to the north, which is more arid wheat producing area you're going to find wheat tacos uh wheat tortillas and you go to the the southwest baja area or technically it's just the west uh a lot more seafood i i want to be able to explore all at food by regions and i always get this pushback from people saying oh you know multiculturalism just making everything homogenized that's not the case people still hold on to their food culture in a very definitive defiant way to the point where you can still find fantastic niches of of something as simple as tacos, which allow for great experimentation without having to spend thousands of dollars at a restaurant. Yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely. I I, I flip and love tacos. I love, <laughs> I love, I really love them. I think they're they're they are important to me. And no one in my family get my kids like tacos because it's novel to put the taco together yourself. But no one in my family like, all right, taco dude, chill out. 
<laughs> but I love them. I think that they're set. They 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 are perfect hold on, on hold so on, many important on. cultural levels. What is your son's nickname? Taco. <laughs> Thank you very much. Game set and match. Yeah. Well, my all three of my kids have have food, food related names: food. cheeseburger, taco, and pickle. So. Uh, we're angling for that 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 sponsorship for the next kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, Hunter Child brought to you by Heinz Ketchup. <laughs> there you go. Hey, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, I I think they're wonderful. And the the books the books that I have, if you want to read about tacos, which you probably should, the one that we both have, tacos by Alex Stupak and Jordana Rothman. It's it's not just recipes; it's also essays as well, which are well worth reading. Um, the Bredos Boys, their taco cookbook is is good for off-piste tacos. And um, Eat Mexico by Leslie Tellez, whose company do fantastic work in Mexico City, if you ever want to learn more about Mexican food. Um, those are three that you can get in the UK and in the US that I strongly, strongly recommend. Awesome. So uh, let us know what variations of tacos that you enjoy. I know... England has had a bit of a revolution of uh, Mexican food over the last 10 years. If there's any specific place, and if you say uh, if you say the place I'm not going to say, I will kill you. Uh, Oaxaca. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the fact that they're spelling it with a W just pisses me off as well. Uh, it's an O. It's an O. That's, the, that's how Well, there's spelling. nothing. There's no similarity in, uh, in spelling because they spell it W-A-H-A-C-A, and it's spelled O-A-X-A-C-A. Yeah, they. You know what? Oaxaca in in London. I don't know if they've expanded. Um, there are other places in the UK to get better better tacos. Although they're yeah, let's let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. <laughs> so our next episode is uh, you. Yeah, that's gonna take some uh, some thinking, some stewing on. Um, so if you have any suggestions. We'll uh, we'll have to give that some thought. I think I'm drawing a blank. I I, I mean I'll, I'll I'll think about this offline. But if you have any suggestions on what we should be doing, let us know. Yeah, I think it's difficult because uh, you know my mind immediately goes to umami. I don't know if that can if that can. Uh, uh, I mean, there's some really interesting history on how it was defined as the as the next flavor that your body can pick up, MSG and that kind of stuff. But like, for yeah, me, it's the a bit first vague. thing that the 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 first thing that uh, comes to my mind is udon. Um, mm-hmm. but again, can that, can that, uh, sustain an entire, entire episode? So what about please get in touch. Underage drinking, just talking about like drinking, <laughs> <laughs> drinking Stella Rotoir and puking in the back of a pub. <laughs> there you go. Well, maybe we can do a few cause there's Udon, there's Unagi. Thank you, Japan. There's Umbongo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Umi yeah, Udo, but... which is, um, like the, the sea grapes. Anyway, there we are. Um, let us know what you've eaten since we last recorded, what was what great meals you had and why it was a taco and what was in it, uh, what you're drinking, what, you, what supplies you've got on us since we last recorded, and hit us up on at MasticationNTN on Twitter. And until next time, eat well. <laughs>